morning. I want to ask if you would just to join us in prayer. We want to pray that God's going to feed us through his word. How many of you know that man does not live by bread alone? In other words, just, just McDonald's isn't going to take care of you, all right? Uh, whatever physical food you consume is not going to meet all your needs. We have deeper spiritual needs that only God's word can satisfy. I'm going to ask that Brad Abley would stand and pray this morning over the time of receiving God's word. Brother Brad. Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In every life here right now, let us be seized by the liberating, life-changing word of God. And we thank you for our dear pastor. We pray for a fresh, powerful anointing upon him and help us to be doers of the word and not hearers who delude themselves. Be glorified in this message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've used as a theme throughout this whole weekend in our branding and promotion and marketing uh, this, this title, The Greatest of All Time. Can you just say that statement with me? The Greatest of All Time. Now, maybe there's a debate going on in your mind right now about who is the greatest of all time. But I'm here to clear up that debate for you this morning. Even recently, it's amazing how the discussion, the debate, and the argument about greatest of all time of this or that has been uh, brought back to the surface. Uh, last week's Masters tournament, some of you would, wouldn't have a clue, but anyway, uh, there was a big go golf tournament, and Tiger Woods won the tournament which wasn't frankly expected by many. But uh, so now there's this huge debate that's now been renewed is who's the greatest golfer of all times? Is it Jack Nicklaus or is it Tiger Woods? All right. And, and, and this is a common pop culture discussion that goes on primarily around celebrities, entertainers, and sports figures. So uh, the debate is endless. Is Tom Brady the greatest football quarterback of all time? You know, that's so funny. I expected in the first service, I got the same response. In the first service, I expected emphatic cheers, you know, but I got resistance in both services. I don't, I'm not going to let Tom Brady know that, but I just want you, I found that interesting that in both services, there was opposition to the suggestion that Tom Brady was the greatest of all time. Uh, is Michael Jordan or is LeBron James the, the, the greatest basketball player of all times? I, I'm, not taking, I'm not taking a vote. I'm staying out of it, staying out of it. I mean, we could go on and on, right? In tennis, Roger Federer, Usain Bolt, Jim Brown. Uh, pop culture has even developed an acronym. What is it? G-O-A-T, GOAT. I said that to one of our elders. I said, on Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to talk about the goat. He looked at me and he said, Pastor, we're supposed to be teaching about the Lamb of God. So I had to straighten him out and make sure he didn't think we were going off the deep end. But anyway, we are talking about the Lamb of God today. Amen. But G-O-A-T has to do with the greatest of all time. Do you know that Muhammad Ali actually claimed that he was the greatest of all time? He didn't even clarify boxing. He just said, I'm the greatest. He said, I knew I was the greatest even before I won the fight. I knew I was the greatest of all time. So I've got a message for you today. And that is that I know who is the greatest of all time. And it has nothing to do with sports. Has nothing to do with celebrity status. Has nothing to do with fame. Has nothing to do with uh, entertainment. It's the fact 
and that is that Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time. Can I hear an amen? He's the greatest because of his accomplishments, his matchless integrity, his impeccable moral compass, his good works. He was the greatest man who is also God. He was the greatest servant who's ever lived. He's the greatest lover of people. He's the greatest miracle worker. We could go on and on and on talking about how great he was and is. Now, this morning, before I go on any further, I'm going to read to you the, the, the brief narrative taken from Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. I'm just going to read to you the story, the narrative about what took place on this Easter Sunday morning that makes it so special. So you may listen or you may follow along. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. I always thought that was really cool. So it just sat down on it. Like, see what I just did. Yeah, look, what do you think about that? He just rose aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him. And then they fell into a dead faint. That was, they went out. Then the angel spoke to the women and said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen. Come. Come on inside here and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were also very frightened, but also they were filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Now, Probably 90% of you in this room know that story and you know it well. You could have just retold it to me without me reading it. It's important that we do know the story because it makes all the difference in the world. It's important to remember that Easter is not just some memorial to some nice, good, moral, religious teacher who lived some 2,000 years ago. It is a celebration of the fact that he is alive today, and that Easter morning changed everything. Everything has been changed. Think about it for a moment. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything, including it split our calendar from B.C. to A.D. What else could have done that? It's amazing just to think about the fact that Jesus never wrote a book. Never authored a book. In fact, we have no record that he actually wrote anything down. 
And yet there are more books written about Jesus than any other subject in the world. Do you know that he never composed a song that we know of while on earth? I believe he sings over us now. We have no record that he composed a song while he was on earth. And yet there's more music written about Jesus than any other topic or subject in the world. Explain that. Jesus never drew any pictures, never did any sculptures. But more art has been made about Jesus Christ than any other subject in all of human history. Did you know that Jesus never traveled more than 100 miles from where he was born? And yet his name is known and he is worshipped in every country around the globe today. Now, I don't know about you. Those are just facts. And it would cause me to suggest to you that Easter has changed everything. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest of all times. The reason, the reason that Christianity has spread and multiplied as it has across the globe over these 2,000 plus years is very, very simple. You know why? It's because it's good news. It's really good news. The life, the message of his death and his burial and his resurrection, it's just really good news. It's not bad news. It's really good news. And if you accept it on a personal level, it becomes great news. Great news for you. That's the difference. Now listen to me. Typically on Easter Sunday, my typical message that I would share with the congregation uh, in one way or the other deals with trying to provide evidence and reminding you of historical facts and evidence surrounding the resurrection of Jesus, proving to you. Uh, that the resurrection is for real. This morning, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to have an assumption that I hope that you'll simply yield to. Uh, The reason I'm making the assumption is because the facts are clear. The facts are historically undeniable. They are proven and verifiable. There is more than enough evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead physically, and it as Our good friend says it actually demands a verdict from every one of us. Today, you're going to have to make a verdict, a decision of what you're going to do with this greatest of all time. And also the reason that I do so is because this resurrection of Jesus from the dead is one of the most historically verifiable facts, but also because I have another purpose today. And that is because I want to set before you some some guaranteed benefits of the resurrection. I want to share with you some some results. The fact that the resurrection took place provides and guarantees something that's personal for you and for me, for everyone that's sitting in this room, regardless of your past, regardless of your parents, regardless of your, your, your degree or your pedigree. These are three benefits that you can apply to your personal life. And I'm going to set before you today these three. Are you ready for them? Here we go. Very simple. Number one, first benefit is the forgiveness of your sins. You might say, oh, I've heard that before. Have you really, really heard it well? 
The resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees the forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future. That is incredible. And that is a benefit no one should ignore. We have to recognize that only because of the resurrection of Jesus, because he was raised from the dead and lives, can we have forgiveness for our past sins? Look at this verse. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. says, because of our sins, Jesus was handed over to die. The reason he had to die is because of your sin and mine. He died because of our sins. Our sins put him on that cross. And it goes on to say, and he was raised to life in order to put us right with God. To make us right with God, Jesus was raised from the dead. Only because Jesus was raised from the dead can we truly receive forgiveness of our sins. You see, if we just see Jesus merely as hanging on a cross, and, and, and I make no fun of someone that wears a crucifix and, 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 and uh, you know, that's important to them, but I've got news for you. He's not on the cross anymore. Yes, he died on the cross. But it was because he was buried and raised from the dead that today we can claim forgiveness from our sins. If we merely see him as dying on the cross, even being buried in the tomb, there's no hope. There's no hope in that. There's no forgiveness in that for us. It is his resurrection that gives us the assurance that Jesus has, past tense, overcome death, overcome hell, overcome the grave, overcome Satan, and he won a great victory for you and for me. It was his resurrection that makes all the difference, can make you right with God. Did you know that God can cancel your past? Cancel it. Yeah, some of us... Some of us struggle with just the thought of that. We feel so chained to the past. We feel so imprisoned by our mistakes and our failures and our screw-ups. We can't imagine a God so full of love that he's willing to extend to us forgiveness. What's the basis of this forgiveness I'm speaking about? The basis is when Jesus died, he made a declarative statement that you should never, ever overlook. In our language, it's found in three words, found in Roman, I'm sorry, John chapter 19 and verse 30, it is finished. But it is finished actually translates one word in the original Greek language. So one word in Greek translated, it takes three words in English to get it. It is the word tetelestai. It literally means to cancel or something that has been paid in full. So I want you to get this picture in your mind. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and at a certain moment as he's hanging on the cross, taking the sins of the world upon himself, the sins that you and I commit, he assumed them, took them upon himself. The Father placed our sins upon him. He simply declares as he's dying for you and me, it is to tell us die. It was a word commonly uh, unfamiliar to us today, 
But during the day of Jesus, it was well known. It was a word used by merchants so that when you bought something and you paid money for it, you paid good money for it, they would stamp and say, paid in full. Anybody here ever had the blessing of paying off a mortgage? And been able to hold on to that mortgage that says paid in full. My, my God, you ought to have a party if you've got one of those mortgages paid off. <laughs> Celebrate it. Jesus paid your debt of sin totally, fully, completely. It was a word that was also used in a lot of other ways. It was a word stamped on documents uh, declaring that a prison sentence had been completely commuted and wiped out. If you relate to that, yeah, it was a word that also referred to a, a, a servant, a slave, who would go to his master after a long day of work and say to his master, I, I have finished, I have completed the work assigned to me. I've done it, I'm done. To telestai. Or when a priest would examine an animal sacrifice and found it perfect and faultless and ready to be sacrificed, that word would also apply. The word means it is finished, it stands finished, and it is always, will always be finished. You must notice the grammar involved in that phrase because the tense, the verb tense is perfect, meaning it is done, it is completed, but it has consequences. Enduring effects of him saying it's finished. And by the way, when he said it is finished, he didn't just, he wasn't just referring to his life like I'm done living, I'm ready to die. He was referring to the completion of his task. The assignment the Father had given to him, which was what? To go to earth and to identify with our humanity. And to do it without error, without wrong, without sin, and then to give up his own life willingly. That was his mission, his assignment, and he finished it perfectly. And he declared, Father, it is finished. I did everything that needs to be done. So these people can find forgiveness for their sin. I don't think we appreciate the power and significance of forgiveness like we should. May I? Just remind you, uh, reading from Max Lucado's eloquent words. Lucado says, the history-long plan of redeeming man was now finished. The message of God to man was finished. The works done by Jesus as a man on earth were now finished. The task of selecting and training ambassadors was finished. The job was finished. The song had been sung. The blood had been poured. The sacrifice had been made. The sting of death had been removed. It was over. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Therefore, today, we know we can have forgiveness of sin. You see, the resurrection put God's stamp of approval upon what happened on the tree. The resurrection was God saying, I'm vindicating everything that Jesus did and said. I'm vindicating it. Why? I now t- it took God to raise Jesus from the dead. And that is why we celebrate it today. That's why today, when you sin, even as a Christian, your sins have been paid for, past, present, and future. 
But the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim we don't sin, we're fooling ourselves. We're not even living in the truth. And verse 9 promises us, but if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sin problem has been taken care of, and today, by your step of faith, you can accept that and know that is a done, sealed deal. But from day to day, we don't always live perfect lives, do we? But the good news is that we can go to the Father and we can simply confess our sins and agree with him. Say, Lord, I missed it there. But I accept the payment you've already made for me 2,000 years ago. Thank you for that. I have two grown sons now, but I still remember. And some of you can't relate to this because you are of a different age than I am. But I remember there was a toy that we would give to our kids when they were old enough. And uh, I've been told that they're still being manufactured today, but you don't see them very often. It was called an Etch-a-Sketch. Yeah. <laughs> Is anybody here old enough? Yeah. 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 You seen Anthony, really? Did he still make <laughs> I said, Anthony's not old enough. So there was this little, little box, red box, and had these two little hand little knobs on it. There's nothing electronic, no batteries. Someone say hallelujah, no batteries. <laughs> these two little knobs. You turn these little knobs and it would create a little design. And little pictures on that little screen. And the kids would get through drawing them. I mean, they'd work on it for hours. And then they'd finally come and show it to mom. Say, Look, go ahead. And we'd say, great, all right. Now they want to do another picture. So you know what you do with the Netsch sketch Shake it, baby. You just shake it, and when you shook it, what happened? It just erased everything that was on the screen. That's what it's like when you confess your sin. God has the ability to give you a clean slate. It's just like shaking that extra sketch. It just all goes away. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? That he, when we come to him, he wipes the slate clean in our lives that's the first benefit i want to highlight to you number two is also important and that's the power for present day living the cross not only in the resurrection not only provides forgiveness of sin and guarantees us that but also guarantees us something for today the power for present living do you know the word power occurs 57 times the word power dunamis occurs 57 times in the new testament it's used to describe many things in many different ways, but it also is used to describe the most powerful event that ever happened in history. Dunamis, dynamic, dynamite, <clears throat> explosive. Describing what? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the resurrection power that is available to you and to me to literally change your lives. I believe that the most important thing in life today as a Christian is not only knowing Christ intimately and knowing God better daily, but also recognizing and experiencing the power that is available to live on the inside of us. You see, the Bible makes it very clear, even as the Apostle Paul, towards really the middle to the end of his life, is writing a letter to one of his favorite groups of people, the Philippians. And he writes in chapter 3 and verse 10, and Paul says this. Just think about who's saying this. This is the Apostle Paul. All right, so this is, a, this is a big gun, all right, saying this. He says, oh, I just want to know Christ. 
And I just want to know the power of his resurrection. Well, you might say, now, wait a minute, Paul, you know Christ. And not only do you know Christ, but surely you've taken, I know you, you know the power. You've walked in the power. But there was something on the inside of him that said, yes, but I, there's more. There's more. I wish Christians today would agree with this declaration from Paul to say, oh, that I could just know Christ more. And I want to know, not only know him personally more, I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. Oh, that power will make all the difference in your life. It'll make the difference between weakness and strength. It'll make the difference between victory and defeat. The power of God that is available, that lives on the inside of you. When you make Jesus the Lord of your life, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Let me read to you, if I may, from Ephesians chapter 1. Paul again is praying for the believers, and this is what he said. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power power is to help those who believe him it is that same mighty power he's going to qualify this it's the same mighty power that raised christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor in god's right hand oh my gosh are you kidding me wait a minute you're telling me that I have the ability, Paul was praying for me, and as Christians, that the same power, dunamis, dynamic, explosive, world-shattering, grave-breaking power that raised Jesus from that grave that we sang about this morning, ain't no grave? Come on, say it, ain't no grave. That song, that song that we sang this morning, by the way, I was so glad to see the steel guitar this morning. This Texas boy been waiting seven years to get a steel guitar. I, when John Carolino wears cowboy boots, we will have arrived at that point. But anyway, so well, on we go, on we go. So that same power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is in me, in you. That ought to affect the way I live. That ought to affect the way that you deal with temptation. That ought to affect the way when Satan comes and whispers in your ear or attacks you or undermines you or you face obstacles or adversities knowing that the same... Look, if it's the power that raised Christ from the dead, what are we doing messing around with these little problems that seem to steal and rob our joy? Someone talk to me here today. Why? Makes no sense at all. We've got to understand, he's, the resurrection tells us that he gives us power for living today. Yes. Philippians chapter 4, the well-known verse, which says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me read it to you out of another version. I can do all things through him who strengthens and empowers me. For I am self-sufficient through Christ. I am ready for anything, and I am equal to anything through him who, I love this part, infuses me with inner strength. I can. Paul didn't say, you know, I'm thinking about whether or not I can. I can do. Can you say, I can do? Now, it's it's not because you're so good looking. All right. It's not because you're so smart. It's because of the power of Christ can dwell in you. Hudson Taylor, the great 21-year-old faith missionary that left the shores of England to go and win the Chinese, the missionary that broke open the mission field in China when he was 21 years old. 
This is one statement he made I thought was relevant. He said that many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources. And therefore they attempt little. And often fail in the little things that they attempt. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they relied on his power and his presence within them. My friends, I want to tell you today, activate the resurrection power in you. How do you do that? Number one, you simply believe it's there. You believe what I'm telling you right now. You believe what God's word. You believe it. Your faith begins to activate <clears throat> that power. Just because you're born again and it's there, it's latent. It's just laying there. It's not been, it's not been activated. But the way you activate it is first of all, you've got to believe it. Believe it that it's there. And when you begin to believe it, you have to choose to believe. Believing is what activates it. Number two, start speaking it. Don't only believe it, but start speaking it. What, when you believe the resurrection power is residing in you, then you begin to activate it through your words. Begin to speak faith-filled words. Some of you are in trouble today because of the way you talk. Your words are getting you in trouble. They're snaring you and entra entrapping you. You don't even realize it. Proverbs 6.2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. The scripture says that you choose life or death. It's up to you. By what? By what you say. Some of you are cursing each other, cursing yourself more than you curse other people by the words that you say. Start speaking the words that line up with what you believe. So you believe the resurrection powers within you. You start speaking it. And then number three, act on it. Start acting like it. Make no mistake. The devil's defeat was sealed by the resurrection, but you and I have to enforce it. We've got to stand up against it. Start acting like the resurrection power is on the inside of you. Not only does God's resurrection of Jesus guarantee us forgiveness of sin, but it also provides us power for living today. Let's go to number three. He also gives you hope. Everybody say hope. hope. The hope for the future. Hope always has to do with the future. Hope is so important. You know, you can do without food for some weeks. Some of us should do a little bit more fasting. Can I hear an amen? We could even do without water for a little bit. But you take hope away from someone, they can't exist. Can't live without hope. It's undeniable. It's unquestionable. It's non-negotiable. You know what God promises in Jeremiah 29, 11? He said, I know the plans I have for you. This is God speaking. I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for good. Did he say good? I have plans for you that are for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God speaking about your future. He's speaking about tomorrow. He said, I have a plan. My plan for you is to give you something good. Something good is out there for you, your future. Some of you have been destroyed and debilitated by the lack of hope. Disappointment has clouded your thinking. I want to remind you today that God, through the resurrection, is saying, I've got a future for you. I've got a hope. You have a destiny. God's got a plan for you. But the only way you're going to get a hold of it and walk in it is to walk in that hope that can only come through knowing Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. Not only does he have a hope for your destiny, and that's good, but it also has to do with your ultimate destination. All of us understand 
Some of you may not think about it too much. You don't want to think about it too much. But our days in this physical body and in this life are limited. You are not immortal. Your physical body is going to wear out one day. As a church family, in the last eight days, we've lost two of our members to cancer. Um, the good news is they were both up in years, and both of them loved Jesus with all their heart. But the pain wrecked into their bodies. They just said, we just, just pray for them. I'm, I'm just ready to go home. Richard Brazil, the wife of Sharon Brazil, a member of this church, passed away last weekend. And last night, uh, Lisa Rusek, uh, father, passed away after... Uh, a long-term struggle with cancer. But you know what I know about both of them? I know where they are right now. They're rejoicing. They're in heaven. Willie said, I'm done with this body. This body is, man, it's all messed up. He said, I, I, I'm good with God. He said, I'm ready to go home. Now, I'm not trying to threaten you with something like death, but can we just be honest enough to recognize it's reality and you and I don't control how many days we're going to live no one's promised you tomorrow no one has promised you tomorrow so the question holds out for you what is your future and if you know Jesus and you have held on to his death burial resurrection and you've put your trust in him you can know that the Bible is true when it says by his power, God raised Jesus from the dead. We sang about that this morning. And he will also raise up you. What it's saying is the day is going to come, Richard and Willie, who you, they're ashes, one day, they're, right now, the, the inner part of them is, is in heaven right now. But that physical part of them, that cremated part of them, that buried part of them, the day is going to come, that trumpet is going to blow. And Jesus is going to come back. And there is going to be a resurrection from the dead, not Jesus. He's already been resurrected from the dead. It's going to affect you and me as Christians. Our bodies are going to be reconnected with our inner man, and we're going to have resurrected bodies. That's a promise that God gave to the church at Corinth and to each and every one of us. That's a wonderful promise of a hope-filled future. Jesus said to comfort his disciples in John chapter 14, he said, don't fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Just trust in God. Trust in me. I told you, I'm going to my father's house. I'm, there's many rooms there. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Right now, God is preparing a place for those of us who are his adopted children. That ought to comfort every single one of us. God's not only interested in your past, your present, and your future. He wants to make sure that you know what that future in Christ is all about. And I'll close with this story. Back during World War II, there was a missionary named Eric Barker from Britain. And he was a missionary that spent his years in Portugal evangelizing and preaching the good news of the gospel. Very difficult conditions. During World War II, the, the war became, the situation around that part of Europe became so critical, he sent his wife and eight children and her sister and her children who were there with them in Portugal, sent them on a ship back to England for safety. So several weeks later, he stood in front of his church on a Sunday morning and he shared uh, this announcement. He said, I wanted everybody to know here, I just received word 
that all my family arrived home safely. Everybody was all good. It wasn't until later that everybody discovered what really he meant. You see, before the worship service had started, he received a telegram informing him that the ship that his family members were on was hit by a submarine torpedo and was sunk, and everybody died. But what he also knew is that every member of his family had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he knew what their heavenly home really was. He knew when he made that announcement, it was true. They had, in fact, arrived home safely. That is a secured future through Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to stand to your feet with me. This morning, I've shared with you three guaranteed benefits of the resurrection. And all of these have to be received on a personal level. And I'm going to pray a prayer with you. I'm going to ask that you would just bow your heads for a moment just so that you're not distracted. Just bow your head and I'm going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer that basically says, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you. Because there's some of you that are in this room right now that if you died today, you're not certain what your eternal home would be. And there's some of you that need to discover real life right here on this earth in your present day. But your relationship with God is distant and far. This isn't knowing about God. This is knowing him personally. And this prayer that I'm going to pray, this prayer of faith, is a prayer of asking in God to change my life and to forgive me of my sins. And it's a prayer of dedication and surrender. So there's some of you that may be religious, but you're not born again. This morning is your chance to pray this prayer with me. Mean it with your heart. Some of you know Jesus personally, but you're not walking with him. He's not really running and ruling your life today. If you pray this prayer, I promise you it'll put you on a new path with him. So what I'm going to do is pray the prayer. If you're in agreement with it, I want you to pray it in agreement with me in your own heart. Lord Jesus, today I confess that I'm a sinner, but I need you. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came to this earth and that you lived and you died. You were buried, but you were also raised on the third day. I believe that, and I put my trust in you. I turn my back away from my past and my sinful life. And I turn to you, Jesus, today. And I turn over the control, the mastery of my life. Come and take the steering wheel. Take control of my life. I turn away from my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me a new person. And I'm committing today to follow you with all my mind and strength from this day forward. In Jesus' name, while your heads are still bowed, I want to ask you a question. If you prayed that prayer with me, you meant it from your heart, and it was either the first time you really ever meant it, or maybe it was a rededication of something you've done before, but you know that that was a decision you needed to make today with God. Would you acknowledge that?
just by raising your hand. Say, Pastor, I prayed with you, and I know I meant it in my heart. I see that hand there. Someone else, keep your hand up if you raised your I see that hand. I see that hand as well. Just raise your hand. Keep it up just for a second. Just for a second. Anybody else? So I, I meant that in my heart. Now, if you raised your hand, would you do this with me? I want to have just a moment of personal prayer with you. Would you just slip out right from your seat, right where you're at? I promise I won't embarrass you. Just slip out and come right down here to the front with me. I'm just going to have a word of prayer with you. Our prayer teams are going to come and join me. We're going to dismiss the congregation, and then you can join those that you came with. Just slip right out and come and join me right here now. Please. God bless you. God bless you. Stand here and face me. God bless you. Come on down. Come on down right here. Come on, sit. Stand here and face me. God bless you. Anyone else come on to come and join? It's not too late. Not too late. Say, man, I mean this. I'm not playing games. I'm not joking. I'm willing to stand up in front of people I don't even know. Anyone else? Prayer team, I'm going to ask that y'all just come and surround these as I pray, and then I'll let y'all pray individually with them. Lord, I pray for each and every one of these individuals who responded saying that they prayed that prayer. Lord, I take them at their word. I thank you right now that this is a life-changing moment. Change these lives. Give them the strength that they need to live for you. God, let this be the most significant moment that they've ever had in life. Do it today for each of them. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Lord, I bless the congregation today with love, peace, and joy. Let us leave here today going into the mission fields of our community to let our light shine bright for you. In Jesus' name. Now here's what I want.